Hi, and welcome to the Northridge Vineyard Evening Community Podcast. We're a church community in Sydney, Australia, who are passionate about pursuing God together and seeing the world changed by His love. We hope this message challenges and inspires you. For more talks and other resources, please visit our website, www.northridge.org.au. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to uh, a beautiful uh, panoramic view, not quite panoramic, but wide view of our lounge room. I know it looks like it's a green screen. I promise it's not. Um, I've got a little bit of extra space because I'm going to be putting some words and quotes up on the side here. So just trying to keep you on your toes. Um, We are kicking off a new series tonight, which is very exciting. I thought we'd be doing this in person, but here we are in lockdown again. Um, We've just finished doing a series looking at the gospel of the kingdom. And the main thrust of this series was really trying to um, articulate that the Christian message is not fundamentally about how we go to heaven when we die. Instead, if anything, it's about how heaven is coming. God is bringing heaven here and now and wants to partner with us uh, in bringing his future reality into being in our present. Um, and that's, that's pretty huge stuff. Uh, if that's news for you, I want to really encourage you to uh, have a listen to that series and particularly Rob's message uh, from last Sunday. He wrapped up our series really well. Um, but the ne- this series that we're doing for the next four weeks and the one that we're doing after that are actually two different uh, takes on some of the implications of that gospel message. You see, if fundamentally Christianity is all about going to heaven when you die, then um, apart from evangelism, nothing you do here really matters that much. You know, things like work and rest uh, are really just keeping us busy until we we get to our future um, location. But if the gospel is about heaven coming here, then suddenly the message of Jesus touches every single part of our lives. One of the really tragic misunderstandings I think that's prevalent in the church today Uh, And which really comes out of some of the language that we use to describe things is this divide between the secular and the sacred. It's this idea that some things, for some reason, there are some things like maybe church, uh, small groups, prayer, Bible study that matter to God. And there are other things like our work and our rest and our friendships outside of church. Uh, It's this belief that some things kind of matter to God and some things not so much. The problem with this divide between the secular and the sacred is it's just totally unbiblical. You just don't find it in the Bible. In fact, um, uh, in the Hebrew worldview, everything is spiritual. Everything is spiritual. Um, In fact, the word spiritual just doesn't exist in the Hebrew language. The Hebrews believe that uh, God was in and through every single part of their lives. And I feel like it's important for us to try and recover uh, this view. You see, when we have uh, a kingdom worldview uh, in response to uh, encountering Jesus, then everything changes. It doesn't just mean that we start going to church, start praying every now and then. It actually changes the way that we live every part of our lives. So in this series, we are going to take a look at a really important biblical thread, and that's the thread of work and rest. How is God involved in our work and how is God involved in our rest? So tonight and next week, we're going to take a look at work. Uh, In the third week, we've got a wonderful guest speaker 
uh, joining us from New Zealand via video, which is very exciting. Um, and he's going to talk to us about rest. And then the final week of this series, we're going to kind of put it all together and look at what it means um, to live uh, lives that are all uh, for Jesus. Um, but I want to start by asking for tonight, what is your vocation? Really simple question. What is your vocation? I'll give you a second to think about that. Now, chances are, if you're in some kind of paid work, then that's what you think of. And typically when we talk about vocation in the English language, we're just referring to uh, paid work. Maybe if you're unemployed, you think, well, I don't have a vocation. Um, but let me, let me broaden out a little bit. For example, maybe you're a creative, you're an artist or a photographer or a musician, uh, and you, you have some kind of other paid work that you do to support that. But really what gets you up in the morning is your art. I would say that that's your vocation. Maybe you're a full-time student and at this point in your life, vocation means study. Maybe you're a parent uh, who does a little bit of work on the side to help pay the bills, but really in this phase of life, uh, your vocation is, is parenting. And what a wonderful vocation that is. Uh, maybe you're retired, um, but you have uh, some kind of ministry that you're involved in, or maybe you're a grandparent, and that's for you in this season, the thing that you would call your vocation. Or maybe your paid work is your vocation. Maybe you're one of those lucky people uh, who gets paid to do something they love. I certainly count myself in that category. I, don't, I want to broaden out our understanding of vocation, but I don't want to broaden it so much that it becomes synonymous with our identity. You see, for me personally, um, my identity is really rooted in uh, my relationships. You know, I, I consider myself a father. I consider myself a husband. I consider myself a disciple of Christ. And these are the things that are really core to who I am. Um, but my vocation, personally, I've, I'm bivocational. Um, I'm a pastor three days a week and I'm a creative, uh, a designer uh, two days a week. Um, but the point I'm trying to make here is that I think when you, when you drill down to it, uh, we all have, in, in some way or another, we all have a vocation. And as we're talking about work um, tonight and through this series, I want us to take uh, the word work almost synonymously with the word vocation. Um, and rather than our work, our vocation being um, sort of incidental to our spiritual lives, um, I want to suggest that our vocation, that what we do is actually very, very important to God. So as we unpack this biblical thread um, of work in particular tonight, a really good place to start would be to say, well, what does the scripture have to say about our work? I want to uh, take us to the beginning of the Bible, to Genesis chapter 1. And this would be one of those ones where if you've got a Bible handy, um, open it up to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to start uh, with verse 24, uh, which is uh, the sixth day of creation. Then God said, let the earth produce every sort of animal, each producing offspring of the same kind, livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground, and wild animals. And that's what happened. God made all sorts of wild animals, livestock and small animals, each able to produce offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, 
all the wild animals of the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. And so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, Look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all of the fruit trees for your food. And I have given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, all the birds in the sky, and the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life. And that is what happened. Then God looked over all he'd made, and he saw that it was very good. An evening passed, morning came, marking the sixth day. So what has just happened in this passage? Uh, Well, that's a very good question. Uh, First thing is God creates the animals, which is awesome. Animals are fantastic, uh, and he creates them just like that. Uh, Then in verse 26, God uh, goes ahead and casually creates humanity. But I do want to just draw out from verse 26. It's really important to point out that he makes them, number one, he makes humanity in his image. And secondly, he creates humanity so that they will reign or rule, depending on which translation you're reading. It's very important to draw out those two things. Now, uh, so God creates humanity. uh, Humans suddenly appear. And then verse 28 uh, he, he blesses them. And here's the blessing that God gives to the humans. He says, uh, he blesses them to number one, be fruitful and increase. And number two, to fill the earth and subdue it. And I want to look now particularly at that blessing uh, that God gives us in verse 28, because I think that gives us some clues as to our work or our vocation. Now, the first one in there is to be fruitful and increase in number. Now, typically when I've heard people talk about this uh, passage, they're basically talking about procreation. Go and get busy, make lots of babies and fill the earth. Now, I, I certainly think that that's part of it. Um, I don't think that that's an incorrect reading, but I want us to just zoom out a little bit um, from our own stories. And one, I wonder what God is saying, not just to the, the people in the garden at the start, but to humanity as a whole. You see, when God says to be fruitful in increase, I think his vision uh, for for humanity is not just uh, a few families or not just a a small community, but I think God actually has in mind um, a civilization that covers the whole earth. And so what God is saying, be fruitful in increase, he's saying, go and make more humans. Uh, He's initiating this human project that's supposed to cover the whole earth, which is amazing. Then God says, fill the earth and subdue it. Now, I've got to admit that when I've read this story in the past, I generally get the impression somehow that what God's plan for humanity is, is to kind of stay in the garden and and to basically not stuff it up. But I think there's more than that. And in fact, I think it says it right here in the text. It says, fill the earth. Part of God's command to us is not just to fill the garden, but to fill the whole earth. You know, that geographic spread uh, is part of the command and the blessing that God gives to humanity right at the start. 
I want to draw you, your attention to this uh, slightly odd uh, passage, which we get in Genesis 2, verse 10. It says, A river flowed from the land of Eden, watering the garden, and then dividing into four branches. The first branch, called the Pishon, flowed around the entire land of Havilah, where gold is found. The gold of that land is exceptionally pure. Aromatic resin and onyx stone are also found there. The second branch, called the Gihon, flowed around the entire land of Cush. The third branch, called the Tigris, flowed east of the land of Asher. The fourth branch is called the Euphrates. Now, what an incredibly random passage to put into the creation account. You know, why is uh, the biblical author suddenly going into this um, tangent talking about rivers and gold and onyx? Well, what I want to suggest is there's two things that our author is doing here. The first thing is when they're talking about the rivers, they're actually they're showing us the geographic space around the garden. And they're trying to remind us that the garden isn't all there is. But when they point out uh, the gold and the aromatic resin uh, and the onyx stone, I think the biblical author is trying to say that God has given humanity the raw materials that they need to go and build a society. You know, we, we, we're given the impression that um, this creation is not a finished project. And what God is actually doing in this moment of creation in creating humanity is he's, he's choosing to partner with us. You know, if we put it all together, um, this, this Genesis 1 narrative, what we see is the creator God creating us in his image. We have that same uh, creative and constructive drive that God has as he's making the world. He's invested his ruling authority in us, which turns out to be uh, quite a dangerous and a risky move. Um, He gave us a blessing, which is a vocation. He gave us a blessing of work, which is to reproduce, to explore his creation, to create things from the raw materials and to go and build a civilization, go and build a society. You know, God could have started with a civilization. He could have created all humanity across the world with a click of his fingers, but instead he chose to partner with us. And spoiler alert, it doesn't go very well. But the point is here that all of us, we have this, we, I still believe that we have this, this blessing uh, and this vocation that God has given us to take the raw materials uh, of, of the world, the things that we find around us and to build them into a society, to continue God's creative work. And ultimately, as we read about in the rest of the Bible, uh, to work with God towards new creation and restoring all things. God is actively creating a beautiful future. And I believe that every single one of us has a part to play in that. Now, I realize at this point that the ideas that we're talking about here are pretty big picture. Um, and this idea of, of contributing to God's grand plan for reconciliation and restoration of his creation um, might seem a little bit hard to put into practice. So I want to make this really concrete for us. During the week, I put a post up on Facebook, uh, the good old Facebook Brains Trust, and I asked people, um, particularly those who aren't in traditional helping professions, um, how it is that they utilize their their work or, or their work to try and make the world a better place. And I just wanted to share a few of these uh, with you right now. Uh, Mandy wrote in uh, and 
you might not know that uh, before Mandy was a teacher, a high school teacher, she was actually an engineer, which I think is super cool. Um, and one of the roles that she had was working with this uh, mid-sized manufacturing company, and she was their environmental consultant. And the way that she describes it, she said that um, she worked to bring in lots of incremental changes, um, but over time, those changes made a really big difference to the environmental impact of this company, uh, but also uh, to the safety of the workers there. And so she actually had an opportunity to make a pretty substantial difference to the impact that this company was having for the planet and for their people. Uh, Rachel Hughes uh, shared her story with me. So she's a town planner. So she work, works for the, uh, the state government, um, helping make decisions about um, how we build our cities uh, and our regions. Um, and for her, her role is about thinking um, how we can, we can build our environment as people um, to improve people's quality of life. And something she shared with me is that even something as simple as helping people to live uh, near where they work means that families actually get uh, more time together when there's not long commutes involved for either parent. Um, and it actually has really significant social outcomes. So even small planning decisions can actually really impact people's lives in a positive way. I've got a friend, Ash, and she's a very talented graphic designer. Um, and I know from experience that sometimes uh, being a designer, it can kind of feel like you're contributing to the, the global marketing and advertising machine. Um, but for Ash, she's really selective about the kinds of companies and organizations that she works for. And uh, more often than not, she uses uh, her talents to basically help people make good life choices. And knowing some of the companies that she's worked for and some of the um, roles that she's, she's had, she definitely does that. Um, I've got another friend who sent me a message and she's had a very long and distinguished career in nursing. And in that time, she has walked with people through some of the darkest and most difficult moments of their lives. And having had that experience um, over a number of years, she's now um, using, bringing that knowledge to, um, to pastors and actually uh, consulting with pastors and helping them work with people um, as they, they help people in their church communities to navigate difficult times in their lives. And that's, that's based on her nursing experience, which I think is really beautiful. Um, and just for one last example, um, I had another friend contact me and she has a disability. And at first she was um, sort of suggesting that she doesn't really have a vocation because she's not able to. Um, but as we chatted, I think it became clear that for her, her vocation is actually her own healing. Um, and that for her, um, recovery is pretty much a full-time gig. But even as she does that, there's people that she comes across every day. Um, and the way that she goes about um, her healing journey actually gives her the opportunity to be an inspiration to people who are going through a similar thing. Uh, and so even, um, even just the journey of recovery for her uh, is a way to, to contribute to God's kingdom plan uh, through her vocation. The point that I'm trying to make here is that I actually do believe um, that whatever kind of role we have in life, whatever vocation we find ourselves in, um, that we all have one. Um, and rather than treat our vocation as sort of like a non-spiritual thing that we do um, so that we can come to church on a Sunday, um, rather than treat it that way, I wonder if we can see our vocation as part of our whole lives 
lived in response to Jesus. Now, at this point in the message, I realize that there's probably a whole bunch of people who are nodding their heads and saying, yeah, I get that. Um, that's the way that I live my life. And if that's you, then fantastic. Um, but I would suggest there's probably a whole lot of us who are also scratching their heads and saying, well, that's awesome, but I really don't know what my vocation is. I don't know what God is calling me to do. Well, if you find yourself uh, in that category, then you're not the only one. The other thing that I want to suggest is that uh, our vocation actually changes across the course of our lives. And so even if you feel quite comfortable in your vocation now, chances are you're going to have to answer that question again uh, when you move into a new season of life. The word vocation, it comes from a Latin word that can also be translated as voice. When you think about that, it really helps us to, it changes our perspective on this concept of vocation, doesn't it? You know, I don't want to suggest that, um, you know, God can't radically intervene and call us. You know, sometimes you might hear the audible voice of God who calls you to go and do something. Uh, in that, you know, God can totally work that way if he wants to. But I think for the rest of us, uh, that our calling uh, is not so much something that comes to us externally, but it's something that is revealed as we discover the image of God, the, the little piece of God's image that each of us carry uh, uniquely. It's a little bit like an archaeologist um, unearthing an ancient treasure, just kind of gradually working away at the surroundings until what they're left with uh, is just the pure gold um, that they were trying to unearth. And you know what that means? That you might need to try a whole lot of different things with your life before you come across um, the one or the calling or, or your vocation. And like I said, it might change across the course of your life too. But if you are in this place of trying to um, listen to that voice and trying to um, unearth your calling, I want to ask you a few questions that maybe will help you to clarify things a little bit. The first one is, if you could do anything with your life, what would it be? You know, I think for some of us, you, you actually already know the answer um, to your calling, but you just need the courage to step into it. Or maybe you need to think creatively about how you can do that vocation while also maintaining a livelihood at the same time. So it might not look the way that you expect it to, um, but you just need to get a little bit creative about how you can step into that vocation that you know God has on your life. What issue or injustice breaks your heart? You know, I think that sometimes the, thing, uh, the things that hurt the most inside us can reveal our deepest and, and truest values. And maybe that's a way that you've been hurt personally in the past, or maybe that's um, a way, that's something that you see around you. Whatever it is, um, what breaks your heart? And how does that reveal uh, the things that you're passionate about. What are some things that you are good at without really trying too hard? You know, some of us might uh, have a particular gift and we just haven't worked out um, how, to, how to turn that into our work or how to turn that into our vocation. Uh, that said, that's not always the case. Sometimes um, God will call you into things that you have to work really hard at. Um, for me, preaching is not something that ever came naturally to me. I learned how to teach and preach in church uh, through trial and error, through giving lots and lots of really uh, average messages uh, and finally working out a little bit more of how to communicate to people from the front. 
Another question you could ask is, what doors are open to you right now? You know, sometimes we try and work towards a particular outcome and we we go and we go and we go and we keep hitting uh, dead ends or closed doors. And then as soon as we turn around and try something just slightly different, the door just swings right open. And you know, sometimes, not always, but but sometimes, I think that can be God's way of sort of helping steer, steer us uh, in the direction he wants us to go. What do trusted people around you tell you that you're doing well? You know, it's, it's really uh, funny that sometimes uh, we can, the answer to our calling, the answer to our vocation can be right in front of us and yet it takes someone else uh, to call that out of us. I know that one personally. Jen and I never intended to be pastors. It was uh, not something that we had in our big life plan. It's not something that we heard through the audible voice of God. Um, but it was Phil and Kath sitting us down and saying, I think you'd be really good at this. Do you want to give it a go? And um, for me, it was like discovering what I was made for. Um, so listen to the people around you. Listen to the people who you trust and the people who know you well. Now, regardless of which of these questions helps you, maybe none of them, maybe all of them, uh, but regardless of what helps you, um, it's going to take some self-reflection. And I think that self-reflection in our society is somewhat of a lost art. You know, we are used to having so much input all the time from so many external sources that some, some, sometimes I think that that can drown out that, um, that quiet voice inside us that reveals uh, our calling, that reveals what we're made for. I want to um, finish this section with a quote uh, from a, an author called Parker Palmer. And he says this, I'm going to put it up on the screen. He says, the soul is like a wild animal, tough, resilient, savvy, self-sufficient, and yet exceedingly shy. If we want to see a wild animal, the last thing that we should do is go crashing through the woods, shouting for the creature to come out. But if we're willing to walk quietly into the woods and sit silently for an hour or two at the base of a tree, the creature we're waiting for may well emerge, and out of the corner of an eye, we will catch a glimpse of the precious wildness that we seek. Now, friends, we're coming into land here. You've done very well. Thank you for paying attention to me on a screen for this long. Um, And I hope that this exploration of the the theology and the practice of of work or vocation, I hope it's been helpful for you. You know, tonight's uh, message is really about discovering that work is actually a central theme in the scripture. Far from being um, part part of the secular world that we live in, um, that's separate from the, the sacred world um, of church on Sunday or, or prayer or the Bible. Um, far from that, work is absolutely central to the story of Scripture. And all of us, um, I really believe that all of us have a vocation and a call on our lives to do something. It might change during the course of our lives, but uh, to do something that contributes to God's creative uh, work, uh, His continuing work of creation. But I do want to finish with a small but fairly significant caveat, which is that um, this idea of having work that is purpose-filled and fulfilling is absolutely um, a first-world luxury. You know, for um, a lot of people in the world, even a lot of people in our own country, uh, maybe for some of us, having any sort of work is a privilege. For a lot of people uh, around the world, they're forced to work against their will 
uh, and they're not compensated for what they do. You know, there are more slaves uh, now than at any other point in human history. Um, And for a lot of us, it might not be so extreme. Maybe um, work is just a way that we get a paycheck um, so that we can uh, pay the bills and, and so we can have a nice time on the weekend. I want to give you a bit of a spoiler alert. Uh, in Genesis uh, chapters 2 and 3, things go slightly wrong. Um, you know, what we've talked about tonight, this is, this is God's best picture of work and vocation. But uh, things in the biblical story don't quite pan out that way. And it turns out that uh, work is something that's significantly affected by the fall of humanity. So from tonight my hope is that we can understand a little bit of God's desire, his, his best picture of what work and vocation can look like. But next week, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the catch, uh, a little bit about what broke in the fall. So in the meanwhile, uh, let's just pray, uh, and then we're going to wrap up with this service. Well, Lord Jesus, we just want to thank you that to you there is no secular and sacred, that you are involved in every part of our lives. And I, Lord, right now, I just want to um, ask that you would, you would help to just smash down that lie, uh, smash down that division, um, and to help us realize that you want to be involved in every part of our lives. Um, Lord, right now, for those of us who um, have a very clear sense of, of work or vocation, I just want to pray that you would help us um, to bring you to work every day. Uh, to, to see what you're already doing and to partner with what you're doing um, to bring your beautiful future into our present reality. And for those of us um, who are really struggling to find our call or to find our vocation, I just want to pray um, that you would help us to, to find that small, quiet voice deep inside of us that reveals who we're made to be. And so, Lord, uh, as we continue with this series, uh, I just want to ask that you would show us, not just as individuals, but as a community Um, how to get on and to do your work, Um, but also in time, um, how to stop work and how to rest well. And uh, we just, we lift up uh, this time, we lift up um, this knowledge to you in, in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.